we think about for every meeting, what message proactively are we delivering and what format are we using? It is almost always in the best interest of our clients to spend time marketing with the sell side. It's going to be in your deck. Use it. Like, Don't put something in your deck if you don't think it is central to the story. Welcome to the Exchange Feed, a podcast series brought to you by TSX. I'm your host, Caroline Hunter, Head of Company Services based in Toronto. In today's episode, we're talking about investor meetings. And joining me for this discussion is Craig Armitage, co-founder of Load Rock Advisors, a preeminent capital markets communication firm. Craig is a highly experienced IR practitioner, having spent the past 20 years advising and working with growth companies across multiple industries. Craig, welcome to the Exchange Feed. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on today because I know that you can add some very valuable insights for our issuers when it comes to investor meetings. And now whether a company is preparing for an IPO roadshow or they're just hitting the road to meet with investors as part of their ongoing IR strategy, you know, the purpose of investor meetings, in my opinion, is really twofold. So first, it's about relationship building with the investment community. You know, as I'm sure you would agree, it often takes several meetings before an investment decision is made. And then second, it's about communicating your company story and specifically your value proposition. So to that end, and, you know, um, there certainly are things you can do to make sure that your time spent uh, with investors is effective. And so that's a great place to start, Craig, and that's preparation. You know, how does Load Rock help prepare its clients for investor meetings? Yeah, that's a great starting point. Um, and I would say we take a very broad approach. Uh, I would view our job simply to make that exchange uh, as effective and flawless as possible, uh, that meeting as effective and flawless as possible for the management team. And so it comes down to a few things. Um, to your point about what's our investment proposition, we think about for, for every meeting, what message proactively are we delivering and what format are we using? So do we have an updated, updated presentation? Are we using slides? Um, second, and I think we'll, we'll touch a bit more on this, uh, no doubt, as we, as we explore this topic, is uh, what are the, the likely questions? Because I think we've all seen meetings that can go sideways um, if management is not prepared to ask or to answer, excuse me, either difficult questions um, or ones that, that maybe at least make them move in their, squirm in their seat a bit. And then third, uh, part of our job is to give them give the management team intelligence on the people that are that they're meeting. So that could be on the fund complex, it could be on the specific portfolio manager, past interactions, where they invest, preferences, as much information as we can provide to that management team to make sure they're as well prepared as they can going into that discussion. And um, yeah, maybe I'll stop there. No, and that's great. And I want to dig into the preparation of management a little bit um, because there was a Harvard study that looked at, you know, whether the types of questions asked by investors are predictable to some extent. And so have you found that to be the case? Like, can an IRO predict certain questions and then prepare management for them? Absolutely. From, from my experience, uh, most meetings uh, and most questions come back to a couple of key topics. And, and we'll talk about the best timing of marketing, but 
pretty commonly, of course, companies are going out after their quarterly results. And so if you've done the right work into those leading into those quarterly results, you've done a bunch of work to prepare for the conference call, uh, question and answer session as part of that earnings call. And you've also done calls with your covering analysts at minimum and probably some investors right after the quarter. So coming out of that and leading into it, it's pretty clear uh, commonly what the issues are. And again, from my experience, it's usually a few topics that, that are in focus in a given quarter, whether that's gross margin profile, sales pipeline. Uh, people might ask the question six different ways, um, but generally they want the same information. And it's usually kind of understanding the impact in the quarter. Then more importantly, does that affect my model in any way? Does that affect my thesis in any way going forward? So again, my, my experience is the questions generally come back to the same topics. If you're doing the right things around the quarter to prepare and you're talking to your analysts, uh, you're going to get most of those things right. Um, not 100% of the time. And I think uh, anybody doing this job in a, you know, has, has been thrown a curveball. Uh, but I think if the C-suite is also well-trained to deal with these curveballs, meaning you know, they're prepared to say something like, you know, we're not disclosing that specifically, but here's what I can tell you. And then they pivot to something that they can talk about, or, you know, it's fine to say, I don't have that detail at my fingertips, but let me get back to you. So part of that is also how we're preparing the management team for, for those curveballs. Um, and then the last point I'd make here, um, and this is pretty specific, but we do, uh, an IRO should keep a record of the questions um, happening at these meetings or, or from these meetings. Um, personally, I use Evernote and I also use a CRM often to just to, to do it directly while these meetings are happening. And so you can pretty quickly see trends, right? You, you know, and you go back through your records after a day of marketing and you'd be like, oh, here's five or six things that came up pretty much at every meeting. So it's safe. You can safely predict that those will come up again uh, in the near term if you're doing some additional marketing. That's some great advice, Craig. And in fact, you know, when in my previous life as an IRO, I often would look at those questions and look at the trends and then see how I would need to revise our investor materials to, you know, proactively address those questions, you know, whether it's building it out in the FAQ that's on the IR webpage, or perhaps building out a new slide in the investor presentation that really gets to those, you know, common questions, I think really is a great um, practice. And, you know, our team works very closely onboarding new issuers, and we often get asked about the IR calendar. Specifically, how much time should be dedicated to investor meetings and when is a good time to set up meetings? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, great, great question and one that we face often when we start working with a company, particularly the newly public companies. And, and the answer about how much time they need to spend on IR can, can sometimes be sobering. Uh, but most management teams are, are conditioned going into a public listing that you know, this is a new part of their job and it's a significant new um, part of their job. So with respect to how much time to be out in the market, there's always variables, of course. And, and a general rule, I would say we're, we're advising companies in their, in their first year of being public, um, whether that's an RTO or an IPO, there's generally more work to be done just to raise your profile, create these relationships. To your point at the outset, it's not one meeting that gets it done usually. Um, you know, and then there's other situations that we face where companies ha has a, a plan to do a list in the U.S. and do some capital raising concurrent with that. So back, you know, going backward from that, you know, you're probably going to want to spend more time marketing in the U.S., meeting the sell side there. So, so those would be variables that we see that 
probably get a company to a place where they're marketing more than the average company. But as a general rule, we're telling companies two to three days a quarter, and then probably three to four conferences. Uh, so the net, you know, you wrap all of that up, it's 10 to 15 business days. Um, and, and clearly in a virtual world, um, it's pretty efficient now. Uh, we'll get into the, you know, some of the pros and cons of that, but uh, certainly it's less taxing um, with no travel. So 10 to 15 days is, is kind of the rough range that we get people thinking about. Good advice. You know, I often tell issuers that IR is a time commitment by management. And I think that that's, you know, really resonates and, you know, make sure that, you know, management teams understand that, you know, this is now part of their, their purview and, and how important it is to be, you know, reaching out to the investment community for, you know, that relationship building aspect um, that we talked about earlier. But I want to also talk about the sell side since you just mentioned them. You know, often investor meetings are being set up by the corporate access teams on the sell side. And so do you have any tips for issuers on how to engage the sell side to assist them with their marketing? Yeah, a great topic. And, you know, we'd love, uh, we love to work with companies that have a sell side following and, and um, are starting to build the sell side. And so, you know, it's one thing to get a firm to launch coverage, um, but it, it does require that you spend time with that firm to maximize that relationship. And so it, it is almost always in the best interest of our clients to spend time marketing with, um, with the sell side. Um, you know, it's still part of the value they provide is that corporate access. And they want to be able to come back to that corporate issuer later and say, here's where we've added value, right? And uh, relative to some of your other covering firms. So as a general rule, we, we want to involve all the firms where practical, um, you know, space out that time and try to plan it out in such a way that you're not marketing multiple times. Well, certainly you're not marketing with more than one firm at the same time. Um, and, and that you're not hitting the street too often. So, um, and, and, and of course there is a, you know, we get asked this question all the time, who's first, or, you know, should I go with the, the firm that has the highest target price? So you do want to look at, you know, you know, awarding that time, uh, based on, on merit, right. And that who's trading the stock, what kind of intelligence are they bringing back to you and feedback are they bringing back to you? You know how good are the meetings that they've set up? What's the quality of, of the uh, the roadshow schedules that they've had in the past? So those are all things that we would we would advise companies to consider when they're uh, allocating that marketing time. Um, but but for sure you want to spend uh, a decent amount of time um, cultivating relationships because yeah, another thing that is probably a little undervalued is when you're doing the marketing with that firm you know, you're also meeting a bunch of the salespeople at that firm and they become good champions for, for company stories because um, they're sitting through these meetings with management. And uh, we just find that's an important audience to uh, to build relationships with as well. Great points there. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, we continue to be in a virtual world. And so, you know, I want to find out from you, you know, what are we seeing right now in terms of virtual meetings? You know, are they here to stay? Um, I've been hearing a lot about hybrid, you know, some in person, some in virtual. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, again, great, great topic. Um, you know, I, I'd admit that I had the view, uh, having been in this field a long time, that an investor always needed to meet management, that, you know, they were placing a bet on management, um, particularly at a certain market cap level. 
And so it was critical, like absolutely critical to get that order or interest that you had to meet with the management team. But I think what I've seen over the last year or more, two years, is an incredible amount of deal activity, uh, all virtual, right? And so I think that's kind of put that theory to, to, to rest or to at least tested that theory. And, you know, of course, I ask a lot of people in on the buy side, people I know and, and through conversations uh, as part of roadshows, you know, what their preference is and where they think things are going. And, and I actually think it's going to be a hybrid model. Uh, I think it's efficient for the investors. A lot of investors are not always into the ceremony of the face-to-face meeting. They can be introverted people. Um, and I think the reality is in a lot of fields and, and the buy side or investment management, they're not going to be in the office as much. So actually coordinating um, schedules in a way to, to uh, you know, to, to allow for a roadshow isn't going to be as easy as it used to be. So I, I give you one example. There's a company we have worked with for many years and um, they've, they've had a, they've courted a bunch of new investors or, or brought on a bunch of new investors entirely virtually. So for the last two years. And so no one has ever met uh, the management face to face. This company had a new CEO come in uh, to the, the company fairly recently, and he offered all of our top investors the ability or the, um, you know, the opportunity to meet in person, you know, with all the right procedures and protocols. And I'd say one in eight, if I can remember correctly, took him up on the offer. And, and so I think it's a reflection of how they like to work, the buy side that is. I still think regardless of whether it's virtual or in, uh, in person, that's still very much an element of them making a call on management. So it, it all comes back to how we get that management team prepared to put their best foot forward because you're still creating an impression, right? Absolutely creating an impression. And maybe we can talk about some of the, the challenges with, uh, you know, with this uh, virtual format. Um, but maybe I'll pause there, Caroline, see if, if Actually, that, that's uh, a that's a great place to go next is, you know, can we innovate the virtual or even in-person meeting? You know, is there any technology that you find issuers are leveraging to make those investor meetings more effective? Yeah, you know, I found out uh, just recently, actually, that a, a company we work with is building um, a studio in their new office space for for um, video meetings. And, you know, it, it's, it's different than um, getting a great boardroom set up. They're actually building kind of a separate soundproof space. It's And it's not just going to be used for investor meetings, of course. It's for sales meetings, and it's going to be used throughout the company. But I thought that was, and certainly the the part of the, the rationale was to to, uh, to use it for investor meetings because this company is not based in uh, a big capital market. So um, they were going to be doing a lot of these things virtually in any event. So I, I thought that was great. You know, um, I have a, another company that um, that has done a very good job setting up a backdrop um so their virtual meetings just have a really effective branding um to them so you know then i think of, uh, we we would think about the the content and and platform so what else can you use to make that experience more impactful or memorable you know previously you'd go into these meetings and you're armed with a hard copy of the deck you know innovation was some people bringing in an ipad <laughs> to pass around and show something uh, in group meetings of course you could you could uh, lead with a video or something like that. Uh, but because it's virtual, you can bring more of that into the mix, right? And certainly if a, if it's a bigger meeting, like an investor day, you know, you can assemble customers virtually, make better use of video. Um, but, you know, I, I think, and this comes back to the preparation, I think having a very effective setup, 
appreciating that virtual is here to stay at some level. Um, I, I'm, you know, we're counseling management teams to to have a very good setup. It, it, you know, there's nothing worse than uh, a meeting where, you know, audio is cutting in and out, video is choppy. Like at, at this point, uh, two plus years in, that stuff needs to be solved, right? Because it really does affect the uh, how how a fluid a meeting could be. Agreed completely. And I think your advice for you know branding. Um, is really important. You know, if you are a consumer packaged good company, um, showcase your product, <laughs> you know, show Absolutely. people yeah. um, that there's that opportunity there and, and setting up that dedicated room. I, I really love that idea. Um, I hope that uh, I hope listeners really take that one to heart. Um, I would be remiss not to talk about the rise of ESG investing. And so maybe we can just sort of round out this conversation on investor meetings about, you know, how much of your sustainability message should you be communicating in your investor meetings? Or do you simply just leave it in the deck? You know, how, how much airtime would you give, you know, your sustainability message these days? Yeah, it's interesting. We, we do have this discussion a lot as well, and it, and it, it has absolutely become a more common question for, for our clients. Um, whether or not their business is obviously um, uh, has, a, has a strong ESG um, undercurrent to it or not. Um, this, is a, this is a popular topic. And I'll, I'll channel one of my business partners who would say, if it's going to be in your deck, use it. Like, don't put something in your deck if you don't think it is central to the story or important part of the story. And, you know, there's things that go in your appendix data and whatnot. But, um, you know, and I, and I think we would have the view now that ESG is, is table stakes. Um, you know, it ha it should be part of your your um, your story, and clearly accepting that um, if you're going to put it in the story, it needs to be well packaged. It can't be, um, you know, it ha it has to start with the reality that you have these um, elements to your business. And so, you know, we we certainly don't want companies putting something front and center if it seems like it lacks substance, because that's going to hurt their credibility. You know, right. but, but presuming you know every good business has elements, and 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 perhaps and commonly they're on a path to get better. So they may not be 100% where they want to be today. So we absolutely want companies to weave it into to their pitch. Um, I would say from an investor expectation perspective, there, there's no expectation, I think, to go from zero to 100% compliance with rating standards today. Uh, what we see is investors want a few things. They want issuers to describe how they're thinking about ESG and how it plays in a role um, or underpins the strategy. And secondly, they want uh, issuers to set expectations on, you know, particularly for bigger ones, you know, when they'll begin to disclose metrics about ESG performance and what that looks like. And then again, for, for the most larger and more sophisticated issuers, certainly, you know, there's an expectation um, you know, for when that company will set expectations of future performance on those metrics. So um, it goes from the, the smaller companies, it's it's more narrative, like what are some of the things that you're doing? How does your, um, you know, help me understand where, you know, what are, what are the key pieces of the ESG um, here with, with this business? And then, you know, for the larger issuers, it's um, again, more metrics, um, the stakes get higher on, in terms of your disclosure around ESG metrics and performance. 
I think that we're having a full circle moment because it just goes right back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is preparation and preparing how you're going to communicate that ESG me uh, message in your investor meetings. Absolutely. So really appreciate the time today. I think you've provided some great advice for our TSX and TSX V listed issuers. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity.